You're listening to audio from Cornerstone Christian Fellowship, located in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. We hope this message is helpful to you in your journey with God. For the live stream archive of our worship services, you can visit youtube.com slash cornerstonelebanonpa. Christian community is best lived out in face-to-face relationships with one another. We encourage you to physically participate in a local church setting within your area. Learn more about our faith community by visiting cornerstonelebanon.com. So if you want to take out your Bibles, we're going to be uh, jumping around a little bit today as we're talking about the Bible. So we're in a number four of a sermon series about um, the togetherness of humanity and God. And uh, we saw that in Jesus Christ first and foremost as being fully God, fully human. Then we had Pastor Peter talking about the Holy Spirit being in us, God incarnate in us. Last week, Nikki talked about heaven and earth and the overlap of those things, which was uh, really great and heartfelt. And then today we end with thinking about the Bible itself. And I'm actually going to say the thing I was going to say last, just to make sure I'm setting this up right, because I don't want you to mishear some of the things I'm saying today. And that's this, is that sometimes reading the scripture can be discouraging. Sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes we're like, what the heck is this talking about? Um, What's going on here? Um, And it can be weird. And uh, uh, possibly some here have been hurt by the scriptures. The scriptures can sometimes be used as a shiv, like this homemade piercing thing that we use to hurt one another rather than uh, a scalpel in God's hands that's, that's meant to uh, have surgery on our heart and to heal us. Um, and so even if you have like a weird, which all of us at some point in our Christian lives will, if you haven't already, will have some kind of weird, odd relationship with the scriptures to keep being in them. Um, one of uh, Eugene Peterson talks about prayer and scripture and over sabbatical um, he kind of like slapped me over the side of the head about it because he, a lot of times, and I've expressed this before, at certain times I don't really understand certain modes of prayer. And he says with prayer and with scripture, it's the same thing. It's better to be actually on the ship of scripture going in the wrong direction with the ability to course correct and go to where you're supposed to go rather than for that ship to just be dead in the water. And so that's really important. And that's like, are you sure that's better? You know, because you can do a lot of damage with a ship. But I think for us personally, it's really important that we stay in these spiritual disciplines as we're seeking after God. And I want you to hear that today as I'm talking about the scriptures. Amen? So stay in it. Scriptures aren't meant just for quote-unquote scholars or quote-unquote smart people or this or that or whatever else. They're meant for the church. They're meant for all of us. So this here, if you've been at Cornerstone for the past 15 years, I think I've been here 15 years ago, you're going to remember this story because I've, I've run out of stories. Maybe that's time. Maybe that means something that I need to go and find new stories. But this was Naomi and I. Naomi is my wife. This was Naomi and I's first apartment together in Washington, in Washington State. It was this one right here, 2272 Douglas Road. And uh, we got in a fight, either as newlyweds, it was either about money or sex or roommate stuff, because that's what newlyweds fight about. We never fight about any of that stuff anymore. Um, and, and I remember walking out, apartment three, came over here. I don't know why, but I sat down next to the dumpster. 
and be like, ah, I'm not going to deal with this right now. And I sat down and I opened up my Bible to read it. Naomi, fiery Naomi, comes out and just yells from the top. Here's like, what are you doing, Justin, reading your Bible? And I, was, I just hung my head and I was just like, she got me. I was using the Bible to kind of get away from the current moment that I needed to engage in. And I think a lot of us, or some of us at different points of our life, have kind of run to the Bible as an escape, rather as a way to enter into the goodness or the correction of God. And we need to just grow and learn about that. Um, there was a recent survey this past uh, summer, I believe, uh, from Barna that talked about Bible reading. Uh, two interesting statistics. One of them is that um, 54% of Americans, according to the survey, thinks that our country would be worse off um, if we didn't have the Bible. So they're saying that because we have the Bible, there is something good about that. And yet, when we look at the how often do you read your Bible, we see that um, 11%, 5%, 9% read it on a daily or maybe a weekly basis. So there's this kind of cultural thing where... Um, to some degree, the majority of Americans think that the Bible is important, and yet how often are we actually, how often are we actually reading the scriptures? And I ask that as your pastor of myself as well. That's an important thing. And um, if you haven't already, as a Christian, you've probably come to some deep questions about the scriptures. Just like I said, that sometimes they can be a little bit um, odd at times, or how do we read this, which we'll get into a little bit. And I want to encourage you with two things as you engage the scriptures, as you ask maybe deep questions. One of them is that they're, um, we're not called, called to old manna, meaning uh, N.T. Wright and a Christian philosopher, Kierkegaard, they said things like, it's interesting that the funny thing about Christian faith is that um, every generation needs to chew through the truths of the Bible and of the faith anew or of a fresh or whatever one generation learns from another, which there is stuff, it can never take the genuine human factor for itself, meaning that we can uh, gain wisdom from previous generations, but there's something to actually being in it ourselves that we need to go through. We can't live off of somebody else's food. So that's one encouragement that if you are like questioning, like, how do I read the scriptures? How do I engage this? How do I apply this? Good. That's awesome. Also, and I can say this from experience, if you're asking these deep questions, you're not as special as you think. And I, what I mean by that is that there are a ton of people, both from 2,000 years ago and before, and now, that are asking these questions about Scripture. There are Jesus-worshiping, heartfelt, thoughtful believers from the past and the present that can be our companions of curiosity as we wrestle with questions of the Scripture. I'm not the first to think about this amazing question about the scripture, and neither are you. We do have people that have gone before us and that can help us navigate some of the tricky parts of uh, steering that ship uh, with one another. So, what helps to anchor us in the usefulness of scripture is when we keep the humanity and the divinity of the scriptures together. So I'm going to say that again because that's a big point because that's our together series, right? We're thinking about the human aspect of life and the divine aspect of life and how they partner together. What helps to anchor us to the usefulness of the scriptures is when we keep the humanity and divinity of the scriptures together, okay? So the Bible did not suddenly fall out of the sky as it is, 
any kind of basic, simple, historical looking at the church through research shows us that there was and is human agency involved in the scriptures. Nor do we believe that the Bible is simply a human-inspired book on the same level as uh, Lord of the Rings or of whatever your favorite novel might be or other religious texts. We don't think it's the same. That there is a uniqueness to the scriptures as we have them that they contain the word of God. Without the humanity of the scriptures, we lack context and place and culture. We lose part of our own humanness by denying the writers and the audience their humanity in scripture. We are not first century fishermen. America is not Israel. The scriptures were not written in Pennsylvania Dutch as a self-help textbook. On one hand, as uh, at our Christmas Eve service, as Mike was mentioning, uh, uh, talking about the different people that went to Jesus, we're not poor shepherds or rich astrologers from the Far East. However, we can connect with them through the scriptures. We are humans like them, even in our nuance. And God's word outstandingly speaks to us. And that is the miracle of the scriptures is that they uniquely communicate God's foundational and useful message to us. Without the divine part of the scriptures, there is no power for the ongoing present. God has proven his movement in the scriptures time and time again through thousands of years. Even though scripture may not be directly to us, it is distinctly for us us throughout all generations. And you could ask Mike Borden, who Mike, part of his faith journey, was that he read a Bible in a hotel room, was it, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. So giving, like he picked that, somebody gave it to him and he started reading that and there was something in that, in the scriptures, that spoke to him by God's spirit. And so between the human and divine together is God's providence, meaning that This is how he wanted his scriptures to come about. This is how he wanted his wisdom to be displayed. This is the choice he made to have the sacred writings created in this way. And so I uh, kind of, uh, to put a little tension in there, I put this in the email this week that said, the Bible is trustworthy. The Bible is not trustworthy. And maybe some of you is like, okay, Justin has hit his heretical mark now by saying the Bible is not trustworthy. This is what I mean. The Bible is not trustworthy, is not profitable, is not competent when we approach it and use it for something other than what it is meant for. The Bible is trustworthy, is fully reliable, is useful and dependable when we approach it and use it for its intended purpose. And we humans have this thing that we like to do where we can create things. Let's just, you know, take it out of the scriptures and that um, partnership with God. We can create things and we can either use them for good or for evil. You know, nuclear fission is, fusion is really good. That it can, for the most part, create really clean energy and power a lot of stuff. It can also, in the blink of an eye, kill 200,000 people by using it as a weapon. And so how do we approach the scripture? Are we actually using it for for what it's meant for? And so the million-dollar question becomes, what is the Bible for? 
Well, I would offer in summary, and obviously there's a lot more to talk about or hear from the scriptures, a couple anchor points that uh, we can go to in the scriptures themselves. So from 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is the summary statement. The holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So let's break that apart. So let's go to the Holy Scriptures. If you want to turn in your scripture or just follow along to Luke chapter 24. So what, what are those scriptures then? Um, well, we have a couple anchor points. So one of them is that they are the Hebrew writings that we might think of as the Old Testament in our bound book. And uh, we see after Jesus' death, after Jesus' resurrection, he is on the road to Emmaus. Very popular story. Uh, He has risen. He's walking with some disciples. The disciples are downtrodden. They're like, we thought this guy, Jesus, was the Messiah. They don't recognize who Jesus is. And then they start um, saying about, like, all this stuff. Like, I can't believe he died. And then um, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 25. It says, he, Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And at this point, the scriptures, the sacred writings, they weren't the New Testament as we have them right now. This is talking about the Old Testament. And so even with us as Christians, we can um, sometimes think that does that Old Testament, do the Hebrew scriptures really count for anything? And the answer is absolutely yes. That there is the story, there is the background, there is the wisdom of God, there is God working in a distinct way in the Old Testament scriptures that what Jesus says point to him. The shorthand there of like talking about Moses and the prophets is saying that the Hebrew scriptures, all of them lead to me. And so what is the Holy Scriptures? Well, we have this anchor point in the Scripture to say that the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, are the sacred writings. And Jesus confirms this over and over again when he says, today this Scripture has been fulfilled. Have you not read the Scripture? Or he says to the Pharisees, you do not know the Scripture nor the power of God, and that's why you are wrong. That Jesus himself exemplifies the Scripture as something important that points to him as the person. Now, what about the Greek writings? Well, interestingly enough, we do have something about the New Testament. 2 Peter chapter 3, if you want to flip over or scroll over there. The Apostle Peter or someone in his community is writing this letter, and he's talking about the day of the Lord and the new heaven and the new earth and the new creation that's coming, and to hold on to the faith that has been passed down. 2 Peter chapter 3 starting verse 14. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, meaning the new heavens and the new earth, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul, the apostle, who wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Isn't that great that the Apostle Peter is saying, sometimes when I read Paul, his stuff is a little bit hard to understand. 
So he writes the same way in all his letters, meaning what Peter just wrote. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So at least in some part, there's a little bit of a trajectory that the apostles were thinking, as we're writing this, something uniquely is happening here. That at least that Peter saw in the writings of Paul that there's something good and special and unique that is not just another writing, but something that is a little bit more sacred, a little bit more unique, a little bit more the container for the word of God. And so we have the New Testament that we can also point to as an anchor point of being uh, God's word. Now, just quick, quick um, um, New Testament criteria. So the, the canon, like when we say the canon, like this bound book for the most part, we're not going to get into Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. Again, this didn't happen until probably somewhere around the third or the fourth century, even though these letters and the oral tradition of it was everywhere. And so the church had to decide out of all these letters that are going on from different people, we need to kind of figure out like what is the criteria that is happening that these, we think that these are revealing themselves as the special, unique word of God, that they contain the word of God. And there was three different things. And if you study this, sometimes there's five, sometimes there's two. Nobody can really get their head straight on it. But these are the, the three main ones. One, that the New Testament, the letters in the New Testament have this apostolic nature to them, meaning that either the apostles, meaning the distinct ones that walked with Jesus or were alive during Jesus' time, or Paul that had the miraculous spiritual transformation by Jesus, them or their first generation community wrote these things. And so, we're, and so if it was out that, if it was a later date, they're like, no, this doesn't necessarily qualify to be part of the canon, to be part of the measuring rod of what the scripture is supposed to be. Then we have the orthodox nature of it, meaning that before the canon, before the Bible was complete, there was a rule of faith that Jesus, when he left, he didn't tell uh, people to write things down. He didn't, let me say that a different way, he didn't write things down. His, his disciples wrote things down about him. And that's really interesting. Why didn't he choose to do that? Like, why couldn't he, as the word of God, have done that? But he chose to use human agents to convey his story. And it's kind of hard for us to connect with that a little bit because we're such a, a, a literate culture in the fact that the majority of us in America can read. Whereas in that culture, that wasn't the case. And a lot of the stories were completely by telling one another. But thank God that those stories got written down. Because this connects back to what actually happened, the historic reality that Jesus rose from the dead, that he performed miracles, that he was who he said he was and he is who he says he is. And then the third thing is the widespread use of them, that in the church's liturgy in uh, Palmyra and in Lebanon, not really, and in Philadelphia, these churches were using these scriptures for part of their worship liturgy to teach the church. And then there were some that they weren't using. They were like, oh, there's some interesting ideas there, but this doesn't, this doesn't completely come together as the story of truth that we know. And so there's these three um, criteria that were helped to make, um, that were helped to not make the New Testament, that, but that were helped to choose where they saw God's uh, uniqueness, um, the container of God's word being displayed in these letters. And there's a lot more uh, stuff to talk about with that, but I don't want to bore you with that stuff. Except for Ruth. Ruth's like, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about that? <laughs> so the Holy Scriptures, 
The Holy Scriptures are meant to make you wise for salvation. They are able to make you wise for salvation. So um, misplaced authority strips the power of authorial intent. Let me say again. So misplaced authority strips the power of authorial intent. We don't put our trust in a cookbook to teach us to fix a refrigerator. We don't hand first-time drivers, I hope not, Sophia, is Sophia here? Uh, uh, we don't hand first-time drivers the manual of a vehicle along with the keys and say, read this and you'll automatically be a good driver. The manual is good for some things. Like I remember I needed the manual in order to find when the gas gauge started with, would lock. You know how the gas tank would lock? The first time I got a car that had one of those locking things, literally for 20 minutes, I couldn't figure out how to open up the gas tank. And there was that little flicker switch that now everybody knows about, but 20 years ago we didn't. And I needed to look in the manual. And then I looked in the manual and I found a piece of information. But that manual wasn't going to help me be a good driver. It was going to help me do some things, but not other things. And we shouldn't throw the Bible out the window when we ask it to be a magic eight ball to tell us exactly what to do in every single situation. At time, the wisest thing is just to obey what the Lord says. Amen? Obedience. Oftentimes, however, wisdom can't be marketed in a phrase or a trite, even well-meaning biblical fortune cookie saying. Wisdom is something that often needs to be soaked in and lived out. Wisdom is grown in the three-way intersection of thought and feeling and practice. And this, we can see this in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 when it talks about the Holy Scriptures where this line comes from and about how they are good for correction and rebuke and for training. So thought, feeling, and practice, if you imagine those things coming together, wisdom can be found in the, in the meat of those things coming together. The orthodox means the right thinking. It's the teaching of truth and the rebuking of lies. Orthopathy means our right feeling, our right affections, in correcting misdirected affections or developing life-giving allegiance. Sometimes we need to listen to what our bodies, our physical bodies, are saying about a situation. And yet we also need to be able to discern what our physical bodies are saying from our flesh that sometimes would make us want to give in to a sinful nature rather than listening to what our bodies are saying in a situation that might make us feel uncomfortable. That's part of the scriptures developing in us a heart of wisdom through how we feel, how we give our affections and our allegiances over to things. And then orthopraxy of being equipped for every good work, being doers of the word and not hearers only. And it also says that they are able to make you wise for salvation, for salvation's sake. Not, they're not able to make you wise to get a, a 1,600 on the SATs. Is that still the highest score? Yeah? Okay. 1,600 on the SOT, SATs or, or even able to uh, make you a good jokester. Like they're not going to make you uh, become popular necessarily. Um, pause. Great joke I heard this past week from my daughter. What is Yoda's last name? What is Yoda's last name? Do you know who Yoda is from Star Wars? Yoda Lehihu. So it's Lehihu is Yoda's last name. My daughter said that at the uh, dinner table and it cracked up. But the scriptures make us wide for sal wise for salvation's sake, not for these other reasons. And salvation is about our humanity being rescued, our whole selves and the world being rescued from the shame of sin, from the fear of death, 
from the destruction of the devil. God's salvation is insanely personal and also works its way into every single aspect of our lives. It won't give you a surefire way of how to grow your business, but it will guide you in character and fairness and generosity and warn you about the idolatry that can come with money. It won't tell you how to map out the human genome, but will show you that whether the universe was literally made in seven days or over a billion years, God was the one who did it with love and purpose, with design and intimacy. And all of this is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If Jesus is our greatest desire, we read the Bible to know him and his heritage and how we and humanity play into that connection and into that story of God. And in the long run, when we don't have our hearts open to Christ, we end up misusing or missing out on the scriptures. We remember when Jesus was pushed into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, he came under temptation of the devil. And what was one of the devil's ways of trying to tempt him? He would misuse scripture. He would quote the scriptures in order to try to misuse them, in order to say, hey, this is what it says. Do the scriptures not say this? And so why don't you just do this and everything will be okay? Jesus retorts and comes back at him with scripture also, saying yes, but the scriptures also say this. Right there you have the play of wisdom going on in the person of Jesus. Which not just because uh, a phrase is said, but how does that fit into the overall narrative? How does that play into our intentions and our motivations behind saying that? Sometimes I get into a horror series uh, on Netflix every now and then. I'm not a big horror guy. You know I'm a movie guy. But I recently watched this uh, series, I'm not recommending it, uh, called Midnight Mass. And spoiler alerts about vampires and zombies and uh, the Christian faith legitimately. Um, and it was really weird. But one of the things that drove me crazy, but I could feel it, um, is the Spirit say, this is how people use Scripture sometimes. This is how we use Scripture sometimes. Is that there was this, uh, I think she was a rector, which is a kind of um, a Christian leader in one of the traditions. And she was quoting Scripture left and right about these things. And like she was both right and insanely wrong at the same time. And it made me so angry because she was so confident. I was like, yeah, it does say that, but it doesn't mean that in this situation. And it was just, it was, it was a good reminder to me to like watch the scriptures that come out of your mouth, Justin, and watch the scriptures that come out of our mouths, Cornerstone. Are we just using them? Or are we even accidentally misusing them? And there's grace for that. There's forgiveness in that, but we need to be aware of that. But there's also the idea that we're missing out on what the scriptures are all about if we don't have our hearts open to Christ. The last part of scripture, uh, if you want to turn to John 5, please. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders. John chapter 5, starting in verse 36. As always, for more context, read more of the Bible. Uh, Verse 36, I, Jesus, have a testimony weightier than that of John the Baptist, For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me, has sent Jesus. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you. For you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently 
because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses. So he's kind of linking it back to uh, both the Mosaic Law, but the, the Torah, the Hebrew Scriptures on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? And here we have this awesome interplay between um, the word of God that is Jesus and the scriptures that contain the word of God about Jesus. We can believe in the Bible because of the historic reality of Jesus. We know of the story of Jesus because we recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commands given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles that are found in the Bible. This is the interconnected nature, the togetherness of God's word that was spoken, of God's word that is written, and of God's word that is Jesus Christ. And so the two questions I have for us as we get ready to finish up in worship and leave today are this, are you surrendering yourself to the word of God? Are you surrendering yourself to the word of God? And are you submitting to the humanity and the divinity of the sacred scriptures that have come together? I'm going to call the worship team back up. This is a quote from a theologian. His name is Roger Olson. He will also be the gentleman we are listening to and watching in the video at the Mosaic Forum next week. So if you like this quote, you should come next week. If you don't like this quote, you should still come next week. He says this. He says, The Bible is the sacrament of God's word because although in one aspect it is a human book of human words and sentences, it is also a material channel of God's grace and is uniquely used by God to bring people into transforming encounters with God that informs and changes them. This, this next part gets a little confusing, but because the Bible becomes God's word, it always already is God's word. Because the Bible already always is God's word, it becomes God's word. The Holy Spirit is the change agent to this becoming. Apart from the Holy Spirit, the Bible would be a, would be to a sinner a dead book. But in the hands of the Spirit of God, the Bible has always again and again become the unique instrument that shapes the identity of God's people and transforms their lives. So again, Cornerstone, I leave you with um, the thing I told you at the beginning, that reading and studying the scriptures can sometimes be weird and can sometimes be hard. Um, some of us, many of us, have either used the scriptures to hurt others or have been hurt by the scriptures because they were used uh, mistakenly for something that they were not meant to be used for. But my encouragement for us, for myself, for you, is to keep going even if you don't know what you're doing. And to seek out help if you don't know what you're doing. 
It's better to have a ship going in a wayward direction that can be course corrected than a ship that is dead and grounded with no life in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we mean that in the totality of it. We thank you for your word that is found in the scriptures. We thank you for your son, the word made flesh. We thank you for the word that is spoken that conveys your message of redemption for the whole world. We ask, God, that you would transform our minds as far as how we approach the scriptures into something that is more true to your intent, God. And we thank you for your grace as we try to figure that out. Your word is alive and active. We ask that you would pierce our hearts with it. We ask that by soaking in it, that you would give us wisdom. And we ask that we would know more and more about you, Jesus. Jesus, if we are seeking after you, the Bible is about you, why wouldn't we want to be in the Bible more? Help to guard us both from some kind of legalism in reading the scriptures, but also help us not to ignore the scriptures. We thank you for your kindness to us, and we pray this in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen.